Well, take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. And uh, today is also the first Sunday that we return to having third through fifth grade kids ministry classes. We made it. So if you're in third through fifth grade and registered, you can make your way to the back. Our workers are there to meet and connect with you. And uh, it's great to see so many of you on this Labor Day weekend. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. My name is Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And we're really excited to be able to to gather with you. And I'm particularly excited this morning that uh, we are starting a series in the book of Romans. And that that series is going to go for who knows how long. I'm just going to tell you that. Usually I know the answer to that question when we start. But this one, I'm not making any promises. I do know this. Thanksgiving will be done with chapter three. I'll make that promise with you. But I'm excited uh, for us to slow down and learn from the, from the book of Romans. But I did want to mention one thing. We began giving to a refugee fund last Sunday. Uh, there is a lot going on behind the scenes uh, here at Quantico preparing to receive Afghan refugees into this area. And from everything that we are hearing, it's going to be a long process of figuring out how that gets organized and what the needs really are that our community can help support. But we are preparing to do that. So some of our Praetorian Project pastors have began kind of a communication strategy to make sure we're ready to respond quickly uh, to needs that come up. Our denomination has also positioned uh, resources here in the area uh, and entrusted us with some resources to be ready to respond when the time comes. We're in a little bit of a hurry up and wait mode and we're trying to be ready to be able to uh, respond as needs come up. So the one thing I can can tell you is uh, one of the things that might be helpful both for now for this situation and for the future is that you would become uh, officially certified with Southern Baptist Disaster Relief uh, and uh, we're going to be sending out information this week about how you can do that in three hours from your own home and that would equip you to do a number of things not just in the situation with Afghan refugee relief but future disasters in our state and region where we have teams ready to respond to be the hands and feet of Christ in difficult and challenging moments. Moments like we've seen around the country the last week. Uh, we had Southern Baptist Disaster Relief volunteers in Texas and uh, that were mobilized to go to New Orleans and serve uh, there in, an, in the disaster caused by the hurricane and also in Pennsylvania and New York City. And um, it's exciting to see the way that we can partner with that. Well, in the future, it would be great for us to be ready to have people that can can respond on a temporary basis to those needs, including things like our station here, a mobile food preparation unit that can, that can uh, serve up to 5,000 meals a day for people that need it. So that's one of the things we're getting ready if there's meal support that is needed for the refugees that we have. Uh, we have a mobile feeding unit in Stafford, at Pillar Stafford, ready to feed uh, up to 5,000 people a day, prepare those meals, distribute it in the most organized ways necessary, and people ready to, uh, to man that. And so there may be opportunity road. I don't know if that'll be the need, but all I'm saying is continue. If you desire to give, we are preparing resources to be able to support that. Um, you can text the word refugee to 97,000. We're going to continue to collect those resources and use it in the ways that the, those who are leading the effort best communicate to us that we can. So I wanted to make sure you knew about that as we get uh, ready to turn our attention to God's word. 
All right, beginning in Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Please follow me uh, as I read in the text. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, And called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even as we prepare to study it today, Lord, we see here you've called us to be saints who are set apart. Lord, that we belong to you, that we're deeply loved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, but we're also called We're called to something bigger than just our own lives and preferences and desires. And Lord, today we pray that you would show us a clear gospel that transcends everything else in our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us be attentive to your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually, that you would compel us into your mission. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in one of those situations where there's so much to say and explain that it's difficult to know where to start and details just start popping out? You familiar with that? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of some communication like that. You know, you get the phone call where someone says, now everything is okay, right? But I wanted to let you know, and you're like, man, you got to get all those details out now because I want to know what's happening, and, and it's hard to organize what needs to be said next. Or maybe you're try- you've been in the position of trying to tell someone about a great experience and words just fail and every sentence gets interrupted trying to include another detail. You know what I'm talking about? Just all of those ideas are coming faster and faster. Recently on our family trip to Montana, the kids had a kayaking adventure that was both exciting and a little harrowing. And when I started getting phone calls about what was happening, I was uh, relaxing, fly fishing with a guide. I couldn't really piece together what had uh, exactly happened, but for for a while, because they they were throwing details in a big conversation, and the only thing I heard was, kayak, bear, rapids, crisis, lost, rescue. And with every word, there was obviously a lot more to understand about what's going on. You ever been in a moment like that where it felt like every detail was pregnant with explanation, it needed to be told, and you just couldn't figure out where to get started? Well, here at the beginning of Romans, we are right there. That's where we're at. Paul's introduction, these first seven verses are like like an attempt to hold back a dam that is overly full, (laughs) with the waters, the living waters of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to share it, and it has this depth and this beauty 
that he is so compelled to unfold in this detail that every moment he feels like he needs to keep adding a caveat in the sentence and opening another box and, and saying more about it. So much so that if you're a grammar nerd, you noticed in the first six verses that it's all one sentence. Like it, it goes against kind of our grammatical conventions because it's like this big run-on sentence and, and the Apostle Paul, when he's excited about something, when he gets to the heart of the gospel, he almost always writes in run-on sentences. And it's because it's this sense of excitement. He, he, he doesn't know where to stop because he says Jesus. And then he's got to tell you about that Jesus. And then he says, he, he says salvation. And he's got to tell you about that salvation. And he says, I'm called. And this is what I mean. And he just, he just can't stop. And you get these huge run-on sentences before he's ever done. It happens here in the beginning of the book of Ephesians. It's just part of his style. And it's a sign of excitement. And it's a sign of depth. This is what we do when something is big and we got to start explaining it. When something is monumental and important and we have to start somewhere helping people appreciate it. When Paul's excited, he gets these long sentences where each word deserves more details, like kind of like a, a diamond as he turns it in every different angle and each time the light grabs it there's something else to talk about so you might not like the customary grammatical rule breaking but it shows us a sense of excitement and you should understand it that way and and, and as I looked at verses one through seven all you can see is this gospel that is full and bursting out of his words. And so as we start a study of the book of Romans, in some sense, I feel the same way. And I'm tempted to say way too many things today, but you don't want me to do that. I'm tempted to say way too many things, but I'm really gonna restrict myself today to these first seven verses and say that from the beginning to the end, the book of Romans is about gospel clarity. It's about gospel clarity. There's nothing more important for your life than, than a clear understanding and vision of all that God has done for you in Christ. The good news of what God has accomplished, that's what gospel means. Clearly understood by you so it can have every effect it's intended to have. That's what Paul is after. Gospel clarity. If you want to understand Romans, it's a comprehensive explanation of the gospel of Christ sent as a letter to the Christians in Rome. So on the ends, the beginning, the first 15 verses, it looks like a letter. And on the end, the goodbye, it looks like a letter. And in the middle, it looks like this just brilliant gospel treatise where, where he unfolds the clarity and the depth of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. He wants to give us clarity. Paul, in case he never gets a chance to visit the church of Rome in person, wants to make sure they understand the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for them in all of its beauty and depth. And by taking a look at this introduction, one thing really sticks out as we're getting started, and it's this. It's our, it's our main point this morning, and in some sense sets us up for the main point of the whole book, and it's this. A clear gospel is transcendent gospel. A clear gospel is a transcendent 
gospel. If Paul is aiming for gospel clarity, he wants us to see that. But let me put that in really plain language. He wants us to see and understand from the beginning that the gospel is bigger than you think. And if there's anything that we need today is to discover that the gospel is bigger than we ever realized. You know, if we're thinking about a transcendent gospel, a gospel that is bigger, I think one of the things I've been so drawn to in talking about Romans in this season of our life is because it seems that, that Christians are so captivated with a small gospel. A gospel that is so small that it can't compel us to sacrificial love in our families. A gospel that is so small that it cannot cross the things that divide our nation and unite us. A gospel so small that it can't help us to bridge a racial divide. A gospel so small that Christians can't seem to figure out how to relate to one another in Christ across political divides. A gospel so small that in the circumstances of the moment we can't transcend what is going on around us to see that God may perhaps be doing something bigger. A gospel so small that it can't compel us to love our neighbor sacrificially and in practical ways where we create hospitality to bring them into our lives. A gospel so small that it can't help us when the diagnosis is cancer. A gospel so small when the, the cares of the world and the overwhelming events that happen on a global stage can't root us and anchor us in what God is really doing in and through our lives. Listen, brothers and sisters, we, have a, we deal with the problem of a small gospel. By that I don't mean that the gospel itself is small, but our appreciation of it, our understanding of it, our vision of what it calls for is so small that it doesn't transcend anything in our lives. But here we see a clear gospel is a transcendent gospel or to put it plainly, the gospel is bigger than you think. In the text, look with me for a second. We're going to see this in a couple ways. First of all, we see that this gospel was bigger than Paul. It was bigger than Paul. Let's look for a moment at how Paul identifies himself at the beginning of this letter. Verse 1 is three identifications of Paul and his identity communicating. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. The phrase is a phrase of submission. It could be it could be translated bond slave, household servant. It's one of humility. Here he uses it in a positive way. He's a willing servant of Jesus Christ because he realizes the gospel has put him in relationship with someone who's more significant than himself. Paul identifies himself as a servant in a way that exalts Jesus as bigger. What Jesus desires transcends what Paul desires. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. The second thing he says is he's called to be an apostle. Here is a specific title Paul has. Formally, recognition as an apostle in the New Testament came with two requirements. I'll tell you what they are. Paul has both of them. First, they had to have been a direct witness 
to the resurrection of Christ. Which if you know Paul's story, he was that. Because Jesus appeared to him in a specific way on the road to Damascus and saved him from his hatred, sin, and religious self-righteousness. The second requirement for being an apostle is that they needed to receive the mission they have directly as a commission from Jesus himself. He had commissioned Paul. He didn't just save him on the road to Damascus. He says, I am going to make you a light to the Gentiles. You see, there he began to realize, Paul realized Jesus had a bigger plan than he could ever imagine because Jesus was chasing Christians from, or Paul was chasing Christians from town to town to keep them Jewish. <laughs> that was the identity he was concerned with. And Jesus interrupted and said, you are persecuting me. He interrupted him and said, not only are you persecuting me as you're doing this, I'm going to send you to the people they're headed to. Because the gospel is bigger than you think. And Paul says he received this apostleship, which is a position of honor from Jesus himself, and he began to work it out in his life. It was bigger than what he ever thought. Apostleship points to the fact that there is someone bigger to represent. It's a position of representation. When the apostle shows up, he's the one who has been sent with authority, but the authority belongs to someone else. So Paul is saying, the authority belongs to Jesus. This gospel is bigger than me. It's not about me, it's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. Third way he describes himself is he says he is set apart for the gospel of God. Not only is he a servant, not only is he an apostle, he's set apart. Here in Paul's third descriptor he uses to introduce himself to these Christians at Rome, he describes his life's priority. The gospel of God, the good news of what God has accomplished for people through sending Jesus, it provides the transcendent priority for Paul's life. That word transcendent, of course, means it rises above. It's bigger than everything else. And here he says, there's, there's a priority that Jesus has given me through the gospel that transcends everything else in my life. And my life has now been dedicated to that. It's set apart to that. It's a gospel big enough to rearrange every detail of Paul's life, and it's a gospel big enough to demand that we consider what it means to follow in every way in our own. It's a transcendent gospel. We're familiar with the idea that some things are set aside for bigger purposes. For example, in our house, not all snack food is the same. Is that true in your house? It's not all the same. Uh, you know, some goes in the common snack cupboard where any person can bring it out when the time is right but then there are snacks that are purchased that go in the parents only snack cupboard I mean do y'all have this really it was just the place we kept our bowls and it was higher than they could reach that's not true anymore but we started putting stuff in the bowls you know snacks and and we said don't touch that that stuff's set apart that's got a priority. It doesn't just, it's, it's not just your any old snack time. We can bring that out. It's ours. They're set apart for a bigger purpose. This is the idea of things that are devoted. Things that, 
that, that belong for an important cause. And Paul says this is his life. He is set apart for the gospel of God. There's something important about it that has weight and authority that he's willing to say, when it comes down to it, that's the priority. Against everything else in my life, it's the decision maker. How do I display the gospel? How do I live in step with the gospel? Paul says that's, that's everything. I'm set apart to that. So Paul says clearly through his language, my life has a priority that transcends personal dreams, passions, preferences. It's set apart so that the good news of what God has done will be seen in it and through it. It's bigger than Paul. Now this is amazing. Consider that Paul had an elevated pedigree in Jerusalem. Like he was a big deal. Like Paul, if you read the beginning of Philippians chapter three, he starts listing out kind of all the things that he had that set him apart. He was set apart from a lot of people in Jerusalem and in Judaism. He was born in one of the best tribes and he had received one of the best educations. He was recognized as being a part of, a, of elitely educated religious leaders. He was seen as a part of that where he could have enjoyed elite status by staying. But when Jesus came into his life, he made Paul an apostle to the Gentiles where none of that would matter and the only thing that would matter is Jesus. It's amazing given that he has devoted some portion of his life to snuff out early, the early Christian movement. It's amazing since his apostleship to the Gentiles meant giving up that everything and going to where the gospel was not yet known and proclaimed the gospel was bigger than Paul. It's the first thing we see about this transcendent gospel. The second thing he wants us to see, though, as we move into the next few verses, is that it's bigger than Jerusalem and Rome. The gospel is bigger than Jerusalem and Rome. It might take a minute for us to, to see this in the text, but I want to look at the section next that covers verses 3 and 4. But before I do, let's, let's let the last words of verse 4 set our perspective. Look at them with me. The very last phrase says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ, our Lord. He ends this, this, this section that we're about to look at by emphasizing Jesus Christ as our Lord. These are words that are meant to unite two different groups of people in the church at Rome. One of the problems Paul is writing to address is the division between Jewish and Roman Christians. We see it come up regularly throughout the book. You'll see it in chapter 1 in a couple weeks that this gospel has the power to save Jew and Gentile. He's creating unity around a transcendent gospel. He wants us to see that the common things we wrap our identity around that divide us can become uniters when they're rooted in a gospel that transcends them. It's not that we exit the various identities that God has given us, but those things bow and become subservient to this bigger transcendent gospel that really gives them life. God is always intended to display his glory and power by unifying diverse things. By unifying diverse people from culture to ethnicity to language and bringing them together and showing that his glory is teeming with life and color and beauty and culture and all sorts of things that often we dismiss and find divisive. 
But here we see, he says, here after talking to them, and we're going to see how, how he does it, he says, this Jesus whom this gospel is about is Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jew, Gentile, all of us together under him. Roman, Rome and Jerusalem, united. The Jewish Christians, he's, he's speaking to the Jewish Christians who are tempted to say, Jesus belongs to us. The rest of you just get to play along. And the Gentile Christians, who all their life have been inundated with the message, Caesar is Lord, who might think that this religious devotion is just a sideshow. And he takes this sense of devotion and he says, no, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who we submit to. You see, here's the deal. In the church at Rome, you had Christians with a Roman identity who didn't have much patience for the Jewish Christians and some of their strange cultural hang-ups. In fact, if you read the book of Romans, we're going to see it later in chapters 14 and chapters 15, that there's this impatience with one another in the different ways they're trying to work out their faith in detail. And the kind of ethical decisions they make that sometimes aren't always clear in the midst of a life that is complicated. Now, do, do we eat the food that came out of the temple that was offered to idols or not? Is it okay in our celebrations to drink alcohol or not? Like, like these are the kind of questions they were dealing with, but Jewish people came at it from one angle, and Roman people came at it from another angle. It was more than that. There was a sense of identity and belonging. What is the people of God? Are there first-rate people of God who are Jewish in ethnicity? Or is the true Israel the people who have been joined to Abraham by faith in the Son of God through Jesus Christ in the gospel? Who are the people of God and who do we belong to together? You see, many of these Roman Christians didn't have patience for the Jewish brothers and sisters. And to those Christians who valued their Roman identity, Paul says, you know the gospel that is really about the Son of God is a gospel promised through and to Jewish prophets in the Jewish scriptures. <laughs> this is what he does. Look at how he does in verse 2. This gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's saying, if you're going to really understand what God's up to, you're going to become rooted in a more ancient gospel, one delivered through the people God chose and showed favor and grace to the Jewish people, who he also, in the next phrase, who he promised would have a king with an eternal dynasty. He goes on and he says, about that son, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And these Roman Christians are hearing that, and this is, this is what they should be hearing. This is, a, this is promised through the Jewish prophets to the Jewish King David that his kingdom would be eternal and that his descendants would establish a Jewish kingship where the one who would sit enthroned forever, Jesus Christ, would bring the real peace of God to a world that Caesar can only dream to bring peace to. And so what you see here is he's confronting their cultural identity and saying, yeah, you're going to be forever, eternally in a Jewish kingdom. <laughs> so you might want to get to know and love these brothers and sisters you don't have patience for. Because you are one. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That Jewish king on the throne is your Lord. Then, you know, 
You also had in the church at Rome Christians with a Jewish identity that had separated themselves out from real experience with the Roman believers who were Gentiles. And it was sort of like they were just a part of two faiths. They didn't have a familial identity. They couldn't say, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus the Messiah, our Lord, mine and yours. They had separated themselves based on Jewish custom and laws for so long that they had little to no genuine love or patience with Gentile Christians who weren't as careful as they were, who were clear as they were. And Paul says the gospel that saves is bigger than your cultural identity. In fact, Jesus was put to death in a Jewish city under Jewish leaders who didn't recognize him as the son of God until God himself, with his own authority, raised Jesus from the dead in that Jewish city and filled the people who trusted him by faith with the Holy Spirit, whether they were Jew or Gentile. And then Peter, the Jewish apostle, said, I get it, God doesn't respect people on those identities. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites. He saves Jew and Gentile through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that Paul is proclaiming. So you see, the gospel is bigger right here in that circumstance and right here in ours. Now, here is what we mean, brothers and sisters at Pillar. If, it means this. If we're looking at a clear gospel, it is going to confront you at some of the deepest places in your life. One of the ways for you to, to really understand, have I grasped this gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to ask yourself the question, just how deeply has it confronted my own identity? How much has it caused me to examine who I really am? Where I find my deepest sense of belonging. Because Paul says the deepest sense of belonging is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're talking about a global gospel of saved sinners from every nation, tribe, language. You know, we say those kind of things, but think about what that means in our world today. What Paul is going to say and what we're going to discover and what we need to confront is this gospel unites Christians in our world as family in deeper ways than everything that we see dividing. Think about the implications of that globally. Think about the implications of that globally where there's war between two countries but there's Christians in both. The gospel is transcendent. They have the, the, those who live there have to examine themselves. What, what matters? What's important? Where's my best sense of identity? Who do I ultimately belong to? See, to be a Christian is to ask difficult questions like that. It's to ask questions there, but it's also to ask questions here. What should divide me from another Christian? What should I allow to cool love between me and another Christian? Amen. How patient should I be with the differences that other Christians have about how they're working out their faith? 
immense amount because we have a gospel that is transcendent that at the end of this book he's going to say, so welcome one another as Jesus Christ has welcomed you. I mean, just think of the barriers that Jesus has crossed in order to welcome us into his family. Barriers that are so large that he transcended the gap between heaven and hell to save us from our sin. That's how transcendent the gospel is. It's a gospel that is bigger than you think, and it's bigger than Jerusalem and Rome, and, and we have to devote ourselves to understanding a clear gospel that can, can provide that kind of unity and troubles us when it's not there. It takes some depth of reflection and grasp, but it takes us into waters of deep transformation and I hope that through this series, it will bring us there and give us a big gospel. Which brings me to our last point. A clear gospel is a transcendent gospel. It's bigger than Paul. It was bigger than Jerusalem and Rome. And listen, just to be clear, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. We live in a time of rampant individualism where we think everything is about us, even whatever God's up to that it has to be entirely about whatever I'm most interested in. And therefore, we expect God to do what we want and to serve our interests rather than being called to serve his. And this gospel is gonna shatter those boxes. If we're ever gonna see revival in the midst of our church, revival in the midst of our life, a real spiritual movement of power, so because people are getting saved because they saw something bigger than their own entrapment in their own individual perspectives and views, what's gonna have to happen is we're gonna have to realize the gospel is bigger than us, bigger than me. It's easy to miss the language and specificity of what Paul is saying as he introduces himself and connects with this church at Rome, but I want us to see it. The beginning of verse 6 captures the idea I want us not to miss. He says that through Jesus and his work, that Paul and the others with him have received both grace and apostleship. You see it there? Through him, Jesus, we've received grace, unmerited favor, and apostleship, little a, right? The other folks with us, this, this sense that we're sent to something bigger than ourselves. We've received those things. Why? Because there's a bigger mission for this gospel to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Verse 6, including you including you. You see, that's the right language. That's the right language of us being connected to this gospel. A gospel that transcends only includes us. It doesn't just become about us. You see, if you really understand the gospel, this is probably what you feel inside. I was a sinner. What joy that I've been included in this grace. A clear gospel a clear gospel brings us to the place where we realize this isn't about me. It doesn't center on us. It just includes us in its size and scope and beauty and invites us to be a part of what a worthy God is doing among the, among the peoples of the world. You see, if you've been seeing your faith entirely from your own individual perspective, that's not a gospel that, that you, where you've been included with what God is doing it's one where you're trying to force God to be included with what you're doing. That's not a gospel at all. 
That's a small gospel. He doesn't miss the opportunity to remind them in the bigness of it all, though. It includes you who belong to Christ. He's writing to these Roman Christians. God is doing this big thing. He sent his son. He died on the cross for our sins. To make us a people together, we could say Jesus Christ is our Lord. He put us in a family. He raised Jesus from the dead. A gospel big enough to save people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. He sent us to be apostles, sent ones to the nations to proclaim this big message. And he chose to include you. He chose to include you. This big thing, you get in by inclusion. (laughs) You don't get in by demand. You get in by, by being included in what someone else has done. This is the good news of the gospel. And listen, this is where it can sound fresh for you for a moment. You may have worked all of your life to try to get included. To get accepted. But the gospel is the opposite of that. God has done everything so that you could be brought in to inclusion in his people through Jesus Christ. And today, you can belong to this big hope. This hope can be yours. You can start undoing yourself of a small hope and promise and life and walk in the promises of a bigger gospel. As you say, you know, I've made my life all about me I know that I've walked away and I've disobeyed God. I've, I've done so much. But, but here, the same thing that, that Paul received was grace is offered to you. It's offered to me. And I can be included in this hope and in this promise out of God's kindness and his love. You see, you see how he describes them after he says they've been included in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Loved by God and called to be saints. When we have a clear gospel, we feel included in something big. That's what it feels like to be inside this hope, in this faith. Genuine faith feels like thanksgiving that we've been included by God in what he's doing. And what he's done through Christ by the Lord himself. The language is stretching to show it to us. To show us the bigness of this gospel. The beauty of our inclusion in Christ. I just want to end these two application with a clear gospel. Number one, today you can be confident you are included in his grace. You can be confident today you're included in his grace. But it doesn't happen by you proving that you belong. The gospel that Paul proclaimed that we hold out to you is one where you stop trying to believe you're the one who will measure up and you turn and trust that God has already provided what you need. He's provided it through the Lord Jesus Christ for you and you receive it by faith. You trust what he says. You don't have to work for it. It's a gift. You receive it with confidence on his word. And you call on, to, on him and ask him to apply that gospel to your life with its power to change you and make you a part of his family. And by faith, he will include you in the undeserved favor of belonging to him.
promise of eternal life. So with a clear gospel, you can understand that. And today, very simply, you can begin a life of faith. You can be encouraged to continue in one. And second, with a clear gospel, we are called to inclusion in the mission. The phrase is powerful. Through him, we've received grace and apostleship. Through him, we've, we've experienced the deep love of God, but we've been called set-apart saints so that we can put that gospel on display. And the only way we will be compelled to enter into a mission that is bigger than us is when we have a clear grasp and understanding of all that God has accomplished for us in Christ. Do you have that? Do you have a gospel? Is your understanding and grasp of it big enough to compel you sacrificially into his mission? You may be saying yes, but here in this book, if you'll study it with us, if you'll walk with us, it will confront you, it will challenge you, it will call you to change and transformation, but it will also wrap you up in the big mission of God and help you by grace to experience the eternal power of his redeeming work in Jesus. That's what you're invited to. Would you pray with me together? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. And today, as we think about this good news, we are thankful that here, in this place, which is so out of the way in terms of your kingdom, you have included us to be a part of your family. Lord, we're thankful to be celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our hope, along with our brothers and sisters who gather today and have gathered around the world, in like faith. And Lord, we pray that you would confront us in the, the ways we've made your gospel small in our life, made Jesus work of little importance. And Lord, we ask that you would grant us eyes to see. I pray for the person today who's never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never understood the goodness of this gospel, that today, Lord, you would turn them from their sin to trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would help them to grasp by faith the beauty of this promise, its simplicity and depth, that Jesus saves sinners through his cross and promises them eternal life through the resurrection from the dead. Lord, would you cause people to call on you to be included in that. And Lord, would you fill our hearts with a sense of thanksgiving and mission as we consider this gospel that is for the whole world. That Jesus' name might be great among the nations. Lord, would you use our lives for that? In Jesus' name. Amen.